We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Hey, Dynasty Command Center Nation, this is Curtis Patrick. I'm here with Travis May today. It is episode 41 of the Dynasty Command Center podcast. We're going to talk about Travis's really cool, super unique, really fun Dynasty Twitter mega rookie draft. We got everybody involved in this thing. We wanted to know where you stand on these rookies. We're going to have our comments. If you want to know where he and I stand, you got to go to rotoviz.com and buy the Dynasty Command Center Rookie Guide. It's got my ranks, Travis's ranks, Sean Siegel's ranks, TJ Calkins, and Blair Andrews. It's all in the soup. You can see where we are as a, a consensus, as a team. We've got all the metrics, all the analysis. We've got mock drafts of our own that we did. Everything that you need to get up on where this rookie class is, is in that guide. There's three issues. It's five bucks an issue. You buy them all at once. We ship them to you. Just buy it and forget it, and it's going to be in your email, and you'll be ready to dominate. Rotoviz.com 2020 Rookie Guide.
Yeah, Curtis, I'm just pumped to uh, talk about this rookie class and this rookie draft that I've been doing here for a few years now. Uh, if you followed me on Twitter for very long at all, and you can do so at FF underscore Travis M, you might be familiar with this mega <laughs> rookie draft type situation I, I run via uh, Twitter polls every single year. Uh, essentially, uh, while it's not a perfect process, I, I do try to uh, capture what uh, is consensus right now about this time because yeah the, the college football season's over the college football playoff is over uh, the combine hasn't even happened yet in fact we don't even know the list of players uh, that are invited to the NFL combine just yet but still we have an idea of of where we would rank players at this time of year at least uh, those that might call themselves experts probably do uh, and so I try to um, gather from all sorts of different sources, uh, uh, pull from basically 20 or so different experts rankings that I have access to, and then uh, a few different uh, draft capital projection tools to kind of pull in the top players that I believe are going to be drafted in rookie drafts, at least if, if your rookie draft was today, and then put those players in a Twitter poll. And so, you know, you only have four players. Uh, it's not like everyone's voting for their number one player overall at once. Uh, there's going to be different players uh, that people like, but the goal is let's get close enough, as close as we can to what people think uh, right now to kind of create a baseline value or at least create the illusion of a baseline value uh, for these rookies, uh, whether it be running backs, wide receivers. Uh, this year is not crazy with the tight ends and uh, quarterbacks, but uh, just going to be talking about all the top players and uh, where the votes came in and uh, I guess try to separate these players up into some tiers based on the results from this crazy uh, Twitter poll that's actually coming up on 10,000 overall uh, total votes already. So Curtis, I'm, I'm excited to dive into this uh, and I'm really not surprised by the top end uh, of these players, but um, and really I think it says to, uh, something to uh, how, how I guess the running back position is being being valued. I mean, you look at the very top of the draft board these days. Yeah, this this was really cool. I uh, I kind of watched this from afar as you were compiling these votes over probably what at least the last week. It took a, it took a little bit to get through this thing, um, but it's really cool to get the opinions of everybody out there in the community and compare and contrast uh, them with with where we're at because. You know, I think the community um, is getting smarter and smarter, and everyone is probably basing, you know, their takes or their rankings off of, you know, analysis they've read from a trusted, you know, fantasy site somewhere out there, and and maybe they do some analysis themselves, and and it's kind of a mixture. But you know, this is almost like, all right, well, if you summed up all the fantasy advice advice that's out there, this is how it's being applied to the masses. So it's it's kind of interesting too. It's it's not just the Twitter dynasty community. In some ways, I think in reverse engineering this, this might be where if if you put it all all in a big chili pot together, Rotoviz <laughs> and DLF and and everybody else that's out there doing this stuff, this might be what those rankings look like. I mean, I don't know. That'd be that'd be pretty interesting to test, actually. But um, let's just get into this. And um, you know, Travis went through this, and and it's a you know, unscientifically dividing this into tiers, but ba but based off of like where there were large margins of victory. Okay. And, and so based off of the overwhelming response for the, you know, the, the one Oh one and the very first poll that he put up, 
it's a tier one all by itself uh, as far as the community is concerned. Who Who is the, the running back at the 101, Travis? Yeah, so DeAndre Swift from Georgia took down 55% of the vote. And there were there a few thousand votes on just this one uh, poll, way more than any of the other polls, just because it's the first pick and everyone's all hyped to start voting on rookies. But yeah, Swift took down 55% of the vote. And and that's and that's with JK Dobbins being there, that's with Jonathan Taylor being there, that's with uh, I believe Jerry Judy being on there as well. Uh, all players that should get draft capital that that have been hyped up already in this offseason. Uh, I thought it was going to be a lot closer than that, but he actually won by I think the nearest player was 36% away uh from him. So it was just a clear runaway top tier one all by himself and uh I think a lot of people are probably at first glance a little confused by that because, you know, Swift doesn't have the kind of crazy raw numbers that a Jonathan Taylor has. He doesn't have the perfect, you know, crazy receiving profile that, you know, a Christian McCaffrey had when he came out. So why, why is Swift just this far and away better player than a J.K. Dobbins than a Jonathan Taylor than a Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb or whoever else might be in the conversation? Uh, and to me, I think it's just because he's good at everything. Like he's, uh, there's, I, I don't see any glaring hole in his game. Uh, and so I, I don't know where you are, Curtis, but he, I do have Swift, uh, right up in that, that conversation as the top player. But do you have him as your, your first overall? Uh, no, I don't have him as my first overall. I've got, uh, Taylor as my first overall. I do have Swift as my number two. Um, yeah. and so uh, the, the biggest, the biggest difference that I would have. And again, you know, there's no way for us to to know for real if all the people that voted for DeAndre Swift would consider him to be in a tier with these other guys. Um, but it, it makes mm-hmm. for a, a better radio show here if uh, if we put this split <laughs> in here. So it's it's very possible. Oh, that, yeah. You know, you know, ninety percent of the fifty five that voted for Swift just barely have him at their one hundred one, but they're going to vote for him, right? True. So so we can't see that dynamic. But the issue that I would take is. You know, I think that there's, there, I think there's two other backs that belong in the tier with him versus uh, the overwhelming margin of victory that we saw here. That's the only issue that I would take. I think you know any of these top three guys, and and the next two happen to be those guys, yeah. um, could end up being the 101 when we solve for uh, the, you know, uh, combine measurables when we solve for draft position and landing spot and all those things. It could really be any any one of these three guys. It's just Taylor for me at this point in the process. So um, yeah. that that was kind of a nice lead in too to the tier two. Okay, so DeAndre Swift was the runaway one hundred and one uh, from a Rotoviz perspective. Just add a little nugget there. We do like you know even though we don't he doesn't have the the production um, you know the production of some of these other guys. He is going to be an age twenty one rookie, um, and we do like younger running backs at Rotoviz for sure. And so he does have that feather in his cap. Um, Tier two is two more running backs. The next best yeah. feature backs, as you've titled this tier. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm assuming this is going to be Dobbins and Taylor, Taylor and Dobbins. Yeah. How did it shake out? Yeah, Dobbins did end up winning and uh, took down, uh, I believe, 43% of the vote. It ended up winning by next best was 12% behind. So not as a dramatic uh, a drop off between him and Taylor. I thought it was actually going to be Taylor taking down the, the second slot, uh, but it was Dobbins. And I think uh, part of it is just, you know, Ohio State made it further in the playoff and a lot. It's, it's, it's more fresh on the mind. A lot of people don't necessarily always watch Wisconsin games as much as they might an Ohio State game. Uh, so maybe that had, that came into play and that gave him the edge, but that was a lot closer, but it was clear to your point 
that after Taylor went at three, there was a 28% gap in between anybody else that was in that vote for the 1.03 slot. So Taylor took that down pretty definitively. So it it is pretty clear to me right now that there's three running backs that are expected all three to go top 50 in the NFL draft. And if that's the case, the opportunity is probably going to be there for them to have a role early on in the career and give us some fantasy value at this position uh, that is hard to uh, get elite production from. But when you do, it matters. And I think that's what everyone's trying to take advantage of uh, with the first three picks this year. I, I don't see much of any any way that uh, it doesn't kind of work out where there's at least three backs, one, two, three off the board uh, come May and June, uh, unless – you know, let's just say a super run heavy team gets their back up. You know, like let's say that the, the Titans draft, um, you know, one of these three as as their two to go with Henry or something crazy like that, just because the Titans are the Titans. Or let's say the, the like it's almost like last year. Like, if Madison had been a different back, Alexander Madison going to the Vikings, if it had been a different back that went in day two to the Vikings, that would have been horrible because they would have been behind Cook. If it's that kind of situation, it would have to be something like that. That would that would make me believe it wouldn't be just one, two, three, boom, boom, boom. These three, uh, when it's all said and done, uh, are, are you kind of in the same boat right there? Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, I actually think it would probably take like a knee injury at the combine uh, for for my top right. three to change. Um, yeah, and let's 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 hope that doesn't happen. I got a cool little nugget here on uh, the production profiles of these three guys before we move on to the next tier. Sure. Career okay. Let's. I want you to put them in order for me, and then I'll tell you the number. Career two hundred yard rushing games. Order those three guys: one, two, three. Uh, it's definitely uh, Taylor first, and then Dobbins, and then probably Swift. Man, you nailed it! You nailed it! You know your college football. the The margin is insane. Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even close. <laughs> twelve. He had twelve two hundred yard rushing games in his career. Dobbins had two and Swift had none. Now that yeah. doesn't, it's not, there's no necessarily, there's no predictive value of any of that, but it just shows what a production monster Taylor was. And it shows, you know, it, it actually kind of explains some of the context around Swift's career too, right? Um, you know, a, a little bit of a different running back room there with two other um, high draft capital NFL viable backs um, that he had to kind of wait his turn on. So um, and different schemes and all those types of things, but just just really really interesting uh, feather and in, in Jonathan Taylor's cap there. Let's move on to tier three. Finally, get another position besides running back. This 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 tier, much uh, to my dismay, only has two of my top three wide receivers in it. Um, and and I'm not shocked that that my number one guy's not in there because I, I don't think the community's on him yet. And, and this process actually showed that. So we're gonna have to talk a little louder about our guy Travis because I think he's your guy too. Yeah, but yeah, who, we, who who were the 104 and 105 per the dynasty community uh, over a 10,000 vote sample size here? Yeah, so over that that huge sample, we're looking at CD Lamb in the 1.04, the fourth pick slot, actually edging out Jerry Judy by 15 percent of the vote. 
Uh, it wasn't a one to one. There were other, there were two other players involved there. In fact, I believe I had your top wide receiver also in that poll. Uh, but he actually got destroyed by CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy. CeeDee Lamb took half the votes and keep in mind, there's four players on this poll and he took half the votes, uh, kind of clearly taking down the fourth slot over Judy. I was, I was quite a bit surprised there just because I, I think that. I guess I thought that people just were assuming Jerry Judy is going to be this top 10 to 15 selection and they're going to you know latch on to the idea that that draft capital is going to be enough to make him succeed. Although, you know, he never really had a breakout season in college production wise. I know he won the, the Boletnikoff, which was huge, and he produced anyway with a bunch of studs around him. But CeeDee Lamb uh, just – it made me kind of just look at the numbers again and I realized, oh, okay, so – C.D. Lamb pretty much almost broke out as a true freshman uh, coming in for Oklahoma. And then all it took was Hollywood being gone for him to truly break out, posting a, you know, 38% adjusted dominator rating and, ha- you know, having like a basically like a 90th percentile adjusted yards per team pass attempt numbers. And, and really overall, his adjusted production index, when you combine like some of the most sticky metrics in football, he's got like a 90th percentile uh, production profile. Uh, so, when you check those boxes and you check the film boxes and the real NFL draft people tend to tend to show that they like him and they start to have him drafted, uh, you know, inside of the first half of the first round in mock drafts, you think, Oh, okay. Maybe lamb is actually safer than Judy, even though Judy's been this, you know, obvious wide receiver one candidate for a long time. Uh, well, I never really had him in that, uh, locked in that that position i i didn't see lamb being the one to to like dethrone him like a year ago i wouldn't have just known oh obviously lamb's going to be the wide receiver one but uh he here we are and, and judy judy really killed it and kind of created another tear break right after him though taking down 78 percent of the vote for the five slot and uh, just annihilating everyone else uh, in that poll, actually having a 62% margin of victory uh, over the other three players involved, uh, being uh, a few of the players in the next two tiers. But not surprising uh, to see these two uh, locked in uh, at this point. Okay, so just to recap, that's a top five so far. The 101 is DeAndre Swift running back out of Georgia. The 102 is J.K. Dobbins uh, running back out of Ohio State University. 103 is Jonathan Taylor, running back out of Wisconsin. 104 was C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, wide receiver. And 105 was Jerry Judy, the wide receiver, uh, and Boletnikoff, winner out of Alabama. Um, So now we're to tier four. It's a one-man tier. And I kind of feel like this player, in some ways, it's it's almost perfection or poetry that he's in a tier by himself because Mm -hmm. he became something of a – an island take player as we approach uh, the 2020 draft. You know, you're kind of, I think no matter what, he's a divisive player in this draft. And there's some people that love him and say, man, he actually even belongs way up there with the top three backs. And there's some people that can't forgive the, the sins of his production profile. And, and they, they refuse to consider context of, of what he faced in the program uh, here, you know, here's the lead is Florida State uh, just could not do anything to help him. And everything he did was on his own. Running back Cam Akers, Travis, but he annihilated the next tier, right? 
Yeah, and it wasn't really close. Uh, when you compared him in votes uh, to the next tier, he took 53% of the vote, won by a margin of victory of uh, 36% over the next closest player in terms of votes uh, in this particular poll. So, again, kind of looks like he's a, a, in a tier um, – to himself, just because he he doesn't he doesn't have that profile that just says sure fire, th- just lock in stud running back day one selection just because of all that he went through at Florida State. But then on the flip side, you look at where he came from as well, and you you say this guy was like pretty much the number one recruit in the nation when he came into high school. Yes, he was a little bit odd in that he was kind of more of a wildcat quarterback slash running back in high school, but he was a five star stud athlete that was running sub fourth four five forties in, in high school, just a, a crazy uh, elite level athlete that projected well to, to the pros at a very early age. So to see him do what he did at Florida State, given the atrocious offensive line play and still have a decent receiving production um, profile and, and really to still put up two over 1,000 yard seasons and a pretty gross offensive situation is actually quite impressive. And in the games that I've charted so far for Acres, it's it's pretty gross. He essentially has just about zero yards before contact in total. I think I've got almost four four games done, and I'm pretty sure it's near zero yards before contact overall uh, in the big picture. So any yards that he's gaining, it's it's basically a miracle. So I, I I'm somebody that is a believer in in Cam, but I want to see him get some draft capital before I put him up in the top five. You know, along with those five players we already named. I think that's that's pretty spot on with with what I would say on Acres. I don't know that I have a lot to add there, so I'm going to keep just moving to tier five. Let's we've go. got two t- <laughs> we've got two tiers left, and we'll have completed. The dynasty uh, communities, basically top twelve players, and I, I think that's what we're we're seeking to do here as a takeaway. This is going to really help you apply player value and 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 trading for picks in your leagues. You know, this might help inform some of those deals where these tier breaks are, where you want to be for a certain player, uh, and help you kind of uh, move your way around. So, tier five. This is the one hundred seven through the one ten. We've got three wide receivers, and we've got a dark horse back that's been flying up the boards after playing a couple island games at the end of the college football season. So let's let's hear the the three receivers first, Travis, and uh, let us know what you think about there. Uh, I'll, I'll lead it off here. Sure. Um, kind of an upset, Henry Ruggs, the speedster wide receiver <laughs> out of Alabama at one hundred seven. I mean, I. Rugs really pops on tape. If you're, if you know, I think some tape guys really like him, and some wider team wide receiver athlete likes him. But he he didn't really put together the most impressive production profile. I think API pretty much hates Rugs, right? Yeah, he's essentially a, the adjusted production index puts him in like the the bottom quartile of basically all draftable players in the like since 2005. So it's not. Not ideal, but obviously he's he might be an exception when you look at his athleticism and what he did uh, with the players around him. But yeah, it's still it's still a stretch to say that he's in in good standing from a production profile standpoint. All right, so one one hundred eight and one hundred nine. I think I would ex- I I would have expected to see here. Uh, who do we have yeah. there? 
So we got T. Higgins uh, from Clemson, obviously a recent favorite because of all the, the playoff success and being uh, productive with one of the best quarterback prospects in the last you know 10 years in Trevor Lawrence. So T. Higgins takes the eighth slot and Jalen Rager, who I believe is, is your guy, our guy, uh, takes the nine slot, uh, just barely edging it out, though, only winning by 4% in that slot. Uh, and then to wrap it up in that tier is actually Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, another college football, uh, you know, playoff, a uh, recency bias pick perhaps, but uh, somebody that, that really uh, has come on strong in value here recently. So those four kind of create this tier that I feel like uh, we're not sure, or at least the community is not quite sure because there's something missing in their profile with Ruggs. It's his, you know, dominator with Higgins. He, he actually doesn't have an elite production profile. Rager, it's he didn't have a quarterback, and so a lot of people don't really know him at all. And I feel like if he was on a different team, the outcome might be different, right? I mean, the, the, the level of athlete that he is, uh, the, the adjusted production profile that he's put on display with just some of the worst quarterback play in all of college football. I mean, I'll, I'll let you you talk about Rager for a second. Yeah, I mean – you you actually you wrote this up. I don't know if I saw. I might have seen this in your in your copy for the DCC rookie guide. So I might be dropping something sooner than I should, <laughs> or I might or I might have seen it. Yeah, I think that's where I saw it. I think it was in your API write up. Jalen Rager played with six quarterbacks in three years. Six yeah. quarterbacks in three years. Now, I mean, do you think any of them were good? Uh, because no. <laughs> if they were good, he wouldn't have played <laughs> with six, right? No, you know, and there, and he, you know, and even if the first one was good and he got hurt, you know, and maybe the second one was good, but are you getting down to six? Um, no, and so um, that he was able to be productive at all in college, uh, rather than having the production profile of something like a Henry Ruggs, is impressive. Um, and. I just, you know, I was talking about this on a, another podcast actually earlier today. Um, I think that Jalen Rager, it's, it, I mean, he's 109 in this draft. I mean, I, I really question whether he won't be in the top six for the community after the NFL combine. Um, now, I would caution people to be careful uh, about really moving wide receivers around in their rankings too much because of the combine, because actually over the course of time, the combine has proven not really be that important or that predictive of wide receiver success in the NFL. But in this case, I think the combine will highlight what people who were able to follow Rager in college and followed TCU and, 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 you know, realize that he broke out at such a young age and he was on the radar so early, it's going to allow people a chance to catch up. This isn't a situation where we're we're moving a player that we knew nothing about up the board. This is just an opportunity for correction. And I, I think it's good that it's happening before most dynasty drafts. Um, because man, if you if you told me that this is gonna be where he was actually gonna settle, I mean, I'd be trying to trade for, you know, these 109, 110 picks in like every dynasty league. Um, I would yeah. be very, very I mean, I would feel like I'm getting a blue chip player at the end of the first round. Um, so very, very excited about Rager, but really, I mean, this is, this is a really fun tier. I mean, this is, a, this is like the tier of the wide range of outcome guys. Um, but I wouldn't want the 107. I mean, if I had the 107, I'm taking Rager out of this tier, but seeing the collection of names, I, I kind of like that one. I feel like 109 would get me Rager in a draft today. And that's, that's yeah. attractive to me. So, 
Um, and Clyde Edwards Hilaire, you know, we talked at the, the top of the, the draft exercise so far that the valuation of the running backs and, you know, typically you'll see running backs be at the top of a tier. I, I feel like that's commonplace now, but this is, this is a example of, you know, I think if you did your poll three weeks earlier, Hilaire's in like tier seven or tier eight. And so he's oh, actually, yeah. cl- <laughs> he's climbing, you know, he's climbing in the tier that he's in. No, he may still climb further. And so this is an example of him him busting out of where he was before. Yeah, and he's one of those players, if he gets the capital, he could go higher. But if he misses, maybe goes in the end of round three or something, he could actually get passed by a couple backs that are not even really in the same conversation right now. Uh, but, you know, we still have plenty of time to figure this out. But I, I do like this tier quite a bit. And I feel like Rager, he's just that player. He, he reminds me a little bit of uh, DJ Moore. Uh, from a few years back, he, he was, you know, he's with, with Maryland. He also had six quarterbacks that he play, had to play with at Maryland. Not a great program to really put up big numbers. Uh, but I feel like we're just coming around earlier uh, with Rager and he's going to do similar and probably have one of the best combines of the, of the bunch this year. So can't wait to see what happens there. But tier six is kind of a smaller tier. I thought that there was going to be a bigger bunch after the top 10 picks, but to round out the, the first round, we actually have two more wide receivers in LaVisca Chenault and Justin Jefferson. Uh, both of them took about 41, I think it was 41% for Chenault and 46% of the vote with Je- Justin Jefferson kind of creating another uh, teardrop after that. But Jefferson just a- absolutely exploded, breaking records in the, in the college football playoff run. Thanks to uh, Joe Burrow. Uh, and conversely, the, Chenault's stock just completely plummeted because he basically had the worst year of his career uh, to end his college career um, this past season. So the kind of stocks going completely opposite directions, but just both land as, you know, these are speculative guys that I feel confident taking in at the end of the first round. What do you make of that? Which one would you prefer right now between Chenault and Justin Jefferson? Man, it's it's really tough because, you know, a year ago, you know, I, I felt like LaVisca Chenault was like maybe a top five guy in the class. And I'm not so sure that he's not now even. Um, but I, I'm a little more worried about his landing spot and which quarterback he's with uh, than I was before. And I'm also a little bit more worried that maybe he's more of a wide receiver two in the NFL than a wide receiver one. Um, and I'm a little bit worried about what happens if he doesn't go to an offense that's willing to unleash all the creative types of plays that he can do. I mean, he's an excellent runner. He can even throw the ball a little bit. I mean, he's, he's the type of guy that could be involved on every down and in any game situation. But if he just gets thrown into, you know, a traditional route running role, um, you know, I don't know that we're going to see the ceiling. His true ceiling would be getting with a really creative play caller. And so I'm a little bit more concerned about that. Whereas you know, your notes on Jefferson are really interesting. I mean, when, when I hear you say <clears throat> the ideal, you know, slot wide receiver for today's NFL, I mean, my ears are yeah. perking up because, <laughs> because I, I mean, I, I love slot wide receivers for fantasy football. I love collecting my Julian Edelman's and my Jarvis Landry's and those types of target hogs that are just going to, you know, throw down 15 to 18 PPR for me every single week. And so I'm pretty intrigued. And so I'm looking a little closer at Justin Jefferson and seeing, you know, a career dominator of 27%, which is actually pretty strong. 
and a breakout age of 19. And that's before Joe Burrow was as amazing as, as he became in the 2019 season. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we've got, you know, a situation here where, you know, and they're not coming out the same season, you know, but back in 2014, we had a pair of receivers come out of LSU that had very different, Mm -hmm. uh, very different skill sets. Right. And they both have made it work in the NFL. And I'm just not, I'm just not so sure that Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson aren't just Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry reincarnate. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, that is, that is very interesting. I think that I've been a little slow, admittedly, to come around on Jefferson. Um, and, and, and seeing him fall here makes me feel a little bit better about the end of the first round. Um, given your notes, given on, you know, where he falls in API, being reminded of that breakout age, being reminded that he's he's going to be a rookie age 21 guy. He's one of their younger receivers in the class even with his long history production. And so, you know, I'm finding myself questioning, you know, my stance on Justin Jefferson. I had him as like a top of round two guy, and I'm not so sure that the community wasn't a little sharper on him than me. Yeah, I mean, and, and just really arguing with his production profile is pretty hard just because he was – he was the wide receiver one on LSU before they were even that good. Like just yeah. a year ago, he was <clears throat> dominating. So love to see what he's done. And I think he can be the perfect slot wide receiver. He's actually kind of tall, but he's, he's a little skinny, but so he can kind of almost be like a big slot, but you can also slide him outside because he's got the length to win out there. So I think he's just got uh, an all around, uh, skill set that I'm, I'm not as worried about his landing spot, like you said, uh, like with the Chenault. Uh, but that rounds out the first round. Uh, and, uh, before we uh, kind of sign off here, I do want to cover the, the second round, although it definitely gets muddier. The results get closer. There's there's less tears, and it's it's less clear, especially at this point, because we haven't even gotten to the combine. But kicking it off, it's it's one of the most productive players uh, that, that's been a Debbie favorite for a few years now. And uh, the 2.01, and this is the beginning of Tier 7, uh, Tyler Johnson, uh, Minnesota, uh, actually, uh, you know, had had crazy production. I think he posted like a 73% adjusted dominator uh, a few years ago. Just crazy production profile, but not getting any buzz uh, right now from real NFL people, which is concerning. Uh, and then you've got Joe Burrow, obviously the uh, basically the best college football season maybe ever by a quarterback uh, coming out and obviously being uh, in place to potentially be the number one overall pick in the real NFL draft. And then in that, in, to wrap up that tier, you've got Brian Edwards, who is another crazy solid uh, producer at an early age. He had like a breakout age of like 17 uh, in his freshman year, uh, but uh, obviously had some QB troubles and could, uh, couldn't put up huge raw numbers this past year. So we've got these three players to start off round two. Um, that uh, There are some questions there because Burrow had the late breakout. He's like 24. Uh, Tyler Johnson, he might not get the draft capital. Brian Edwards might not even get the draft capital. So what are you doing here at the beginning of round two uh, if your rookie draft was today? Uh, I'm probably trying to trade up into the back of uh, of round one, uh, adding a little bit of little bit of gravy. Um, if if I had to select from these three players, I would still and it was drafting today. I would take Tyler Johnson on the elite production profile and pray for the draft capital. That's what I would do, given the choice of those three players at like the two hundred one. Um, yeah, yeah, and and that's about actually that's that's right about where I've got Tyler Johnson in my own rankings as well. Um, I don't, 
you know, I think what's what's kind of interesting is Burrow going so high, even in a single QB format, which was how you set these polls up. Um, I think some of the recent success we've seen some from rookie QBs has helped return some value to that position, uh, relative value to that position in the eyes of of drafters. It was only a few short years ago where you know I feel like people would get ridiculed for even taking a quarterback before round three in a single <laughs> QB format yeah. and, and dynasty, and and so. You know, to see Burrow here at 202, um, that that's not too far off of where we saw Kyler Murray last year, and he's team Konami code. Um, mm-hmm. So th- this this is a little high for Burrow for me. Um, but yeah, yeah, Tyler Johnson's my guy there. Uh, is that who you'd be on as well? Yeah, the, really, I think this perfectly captures it because I, I don't know what to do with with Tyler Johnson or Brian Edwards because for me they they could be in this tier or or if they get the capital they're both in the first round if they don't get the elite draft capital they're probably at the end of the second round uh, for me so they're both players that could swing one way or the other but I love them from a production standpoint like in my adjusted production index uh, when looking at players since, since 2005. Tyler Johnson has the fourth strongest, uh, just raw, you know, adjusted, uh, production index of all players to enter the league. Uh, so if he does get the capital, he, he basically falls into a category of player that's literally never missed. Uh, so I mean, the, the players that have higher scores than him, it's, it's a very short list of elite producers in the NFL. So I, I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really, uh, sure what to do at this point but Johnson's probably the pick right here but I do I can't wait to see Brian Edwards just wow some people just have like a 42 inch vert and probably run like a a 4-4 something Uh, I think that's going to be a lot of fun uh, to see but moving on to kind of wrap up because the end of the the second round really from here on out it's kind of like what I call the everyone else tier because there's a bunch of players that could just leapfrog others depending on whether they get the draft capital, depending on the hype surrounding their athletic profile. Um, lots can lots can change right now, uh, really from here into the NFL draft. But kicking off the tier eight at the, at the fourth pick of the second round is Tua Tungo Bailoa uh, from Alabama. He's a player that I would have as my clear Superflex 1.01 had he not had the, the injury history. But recency bias definitely has him down a bit because he he got killed. Well, like I think it was the 10 to 1 in favor of Joe Burrow in, in the pool, uh, in the poll where they were actually both there for it. So I think uh, Burrow actually had 42% of the vote. I think that same poll, Tua had like 4%. So to see that happen in the matter of basically a, a month, is just insane because uh, if you had the same conversation, which would you prefer? It would probably be ten to one in favor of Tua the week before he got injured. Uh, so I think people are very quickly forgetting just how good Tua was because I mean he was looking like he could be potentially the best college quarterback of all time before he went down, and then now we're having that same conversation <laughs> about Joe, Joe Burrow now. Um, again, probably a little bit earlier. Then you typically see quarterbacks go in one quarterback leagues, but I'm willing to take a chance on on Tua uh, just because I still believe. Uh, are, are you somebody that uh, is is holding on to hope that Tua is going to be healthy for his NFL career? Oh, for for sure. And all the early news has been pretty positive. And of the two, um, I mean, like like you, if he had the health, it wouldn't even be a conversation because we'd basically be talking about. Russell Wilson with draft capital 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, is is, is, is kind of how he profiles. So absolutely would be a guy with a high floor um, that could even be helpful in a single QB format. I mean, even if we're not talking super flex. So I, I really don't I, – I think both of these quarterbacks are so solid, you know, that I don't necessarily have – if, if you don't want to – you know, if, if you're really in a spot where you just – you know, you had like Rivers and Breeze and Brady and like all the old quarterbacks and no one will trade. And I've been in dynasty leagues like that before that even in a single QB format, just people hold on to them. Um, and if you're in a spot where you need to replace, I, I mean, I, I think I can get behind it. Um, it. It's probably not the same type of bang for your team as getting a breakout position player. Um, but, you know, but I think both of these guys have ceilings that are so high that it would justify taking them this early in the second, if, if your hand was forced there. So, um, you know, you've got two at two Oh four, the top of top of the tier, uh, no other quarterbacks in, in round two. Um, also no tight ends in in round two from the community standpoint, the, the entire rest of the picture here is made up by I'm counting three running backs and one, two, three, four, five, six receivers. So uh, at 205, Zach Moss out of Utah, longtime producer, um, does everything well, does nothing great probably uh, is probably the best way to sum him up. I, th- I think he could be like a sneaky producer if he gets a shot. But Travis, your notes here in the ledger are, are perfect. The day two draft capital is going to be so key because even athletically, I don't expect him to be uh, a head turner whatsoever. But you know, to be fair, you don't have to be necessarily a head turner to still get it done in the right, you know, team situation. I mean, a lot of people wrote Devin Singletary off last year after his, his horrific combine. And, you know, now I'm seeing is basically he's like a consensus top 18 dynasty running back. So uh, yeah. any, anything can happen. Uh, I'll let you go over 206 and then we'll kind of just run down quickly because, you know, some of these polls aren't quite finished. But 206 is a guy... Uh, from a school that that you've had a couple hits on in your dynasty career, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so KJ Hamler uh, re- is, is the obvious pick to me at this range uh, right now. Knowing what we know, knowing what I, I think we're going to find out uh, in the in the coming weeks with the NFL Combine, KJ Hamler out of Penn State. Wide receiver. Some people are worried about his size. He is a little bit shorter. He's probably five nine, uh, but he's not like he's super scrawny, uh, and he's probably going to run sub four four in the forty. So he's got a, he's going to have elite speed. Uh, he's going to have a nice athletic profile. And like you said earlier, that that doesn't mean everything when it comes to wide receiver position. Uh, but just from a production standpoint, he broke out immediately uh, when given the chance in his uh, redshirt sophomore season uh, or freshman season rather. First action. Uh, of college ball he was breaking out in, in an elite way uh had a 31% adjusted dominator rating uh this past season uh basically being the only viable receiving option outside of I guess Jahan Dotson but um somebody that I'm really excited about I think that in the right offense uh, he's going to be creatively used and uh is going to find a home quickly and uh, can be productive as a kick returner can be, be productive as as just about whatever role you want to be uh, really whatever role you want to have him in. So I'm excited to see what, what comes of him just because he's going to have everything going on. I think if he gets the draft capital, top 50 draft capital, he's going to be in that, that tier that looks like uh, he really can't miss. Uh, but after you get past this range, it definitely becomes a little bit even more muddy because you're getting into a bunch of players that 
may or may not get the capital, a bunch of players that, you know, showed up at the senior bowl and maybe wowed here and there. Uh, but really just wrapping up the, the end of the second round, uh, Brandon Ayuk for, uh, Arizona State took the 2.07. Uh, he was, you know, obviously exploded this last year. Juco to start his college career, uh, had some crazy, uh, productive seasons there. And it was even a returner, uh, kind of was the wide receiver too with Harry, uh, last year. But this, this past season had an incredible, uh, like 85th to 90, 90%, 90th percentile, you know, production stuff in terms of peak production numbers. And then you have Eno Benjamin, uh, obviously weighed in a little bit slight at the senior bowl. I think 195. Like 5'10, 5'11, 195. Uh, not really what you want to see. Probably profiles more of a, as a, like an early day three guy now uh, at the 2.08. And then you got Antonio Gandhi Golden for Liberty. Obviously, that, that name is a mouthful, but I think we talked about him uh, briefly before. Three, three back to back to back, 1,000 yard seasons and 10 touchdowns. Uh, nothing to sneeze at there. And he had a great week at the Senior Bowl. I think he impressed uh, some people. Uh, blowing up all over Twitter. Uh, and then right now that the polls are still going on for 10, 11 and 12, but it looks like it's going to be Denzel Mims uh, from Baylor, Michael Pittman Jr. from USC and possibly Keyshawn Vaughn uh, from Vanderbilt to wrap up the uh, second round. Uh, and then there's some honorable mentions that are probably going to be in some polls here, getting some votes here. AJ Dillon from Boston College, Isaiah Hodgins uh, from Oregon State and Justin Herbert, the uh, possible quarterback three, uh, from Oregon, uh, I would imagine he might get some votes uh, to be placed in the second round as well. But that wraps up the mega rookie draft. Uh, I, I just call it the, the 2020 rookie poll mock on Twitter. And so if you're curious to find the results, uh, definitely check that out on my Twitter at, F un- at FF underscore Travis M. Uh, you can follow the hashtag 2020 rookie poll mock. And you can check out, actually, I think I tagged a couple of the other uh, Twitter polls. I've, I've been doing this. I think this is my fifth year uh, doing this. It's just a, a fun exercise uh, to take a look at a baseline value of what, what consensus might be. Uh, but uh, it, there's a lot to take away from it. Uh, but looking back on this first you know, round and second round, Curtis, uh, what's your biggest takeaway from this exercise? If you were going to give some advice to um, dynasty owners on how to take advantage of this more than more than anything what would be your advice i mean it's just it's just been a a very clear reminder of the quality of the first round prospects again you know we i think we talked about this in last week's episode but i I, i'm not scared of the 2020 class we lost some high-end prospects this is still a draft i want i want to be involved in it you know I, i want to be a player even if i can't get you know one of those big name backs in the in the first, you know, three picks or or one of the, you know, community elite receivers we'll say in the early mid first. I mean, I want to be a player at the at the back end of the first round of of drafts. And so if you see these picks go on sale in your league from people who are like, ah, I'm just punting for twenty twenty one now, um, or, you know, those unsure drafters who never seem to have a plan when they get on the <laughs> clock, even during your draft and you can move in. I mean this kind of happened for me last year. I was able to really um, make this work. I mean, I was able to trade uh, a t- what ended up being the 2020 109 uh, after the season um, for, you know, Miles Sanders because I, I had a strong team. 
Miles Sanders slid in the draft. I thought that I would have elite pick this year. And then I, and you know, so I've obviously made, you know, made some money on that. And I think that's what you're going to see in, in the draft this year is some guys that in that Higgins, Rager, uh, Edwards, Hilaire range, and even with the Chenault and Jefferson, these are all very high upside players from a fantasy perspective. That could be very, very valuable, really climb up in, in ADP and dynasty value and, and make some roster equity on these guys. So, um, still definitely interested in trading for 2021 first or for 2020 first rather. And they may be cheaper than they were, you know, two to three weeks ago. And so, uh, that, that'd be my number one takeaway. And my number two takeaway is that community needs to wake up on Jalen Rager. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I definitely have to say, I, I agree there i think that there's a lot to to, to be uh, taken away here but i always try to take advantage of these every year uh just because i think a lot of people pay attention to baseline and consensus rankings they they, they try to find those value gaps in, in areas where they find the jalen ragers that they value over other players they find the uh, tyler johnsons they find you know i was having a conversation with some people about zach moss and how uh, they believe that Zach Moss is way too low. So, you know, just taking advantage of where you think players are going to go, where their market value is going to go, trade into that spot, you know, package to move up, you know, trade for future value and, and add, move down if you think you can get players. And it's never too early to kind of be pre-positioning yourself. Obviously, a lot's going to be changing in between now and the NFL draft, but uh, there, there's current market trends that, that are always, um, you know, they're, they're always a- able to be taken advantage of. So, if you have any questions on this data, feel free to reach out to me um, on Twitter. Again, at FF underscore Travis M. Definitely check out the Rookie Guide uh, with, with DCC. We're, we're pumped to get that out and, and share that, all the information in that. It's just it's been a blast putting that together. Learn more a lot of, uh, about what me and Curtis and our, our team have to say about this rookie class there. But until next time, keep living that dynasty life. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.